Okay, happy ACC Tournament Week, and welcome back to the Lockdown Syracuse Podcast. It is Champ Week. Finally, the regular season over. Tough way for Syracuse to end the regular season, Tyler. Tim Leonard, Tyler Rocky, every single weekday here on the Lockdown Syracuse Podcast. We're gearing up for a big week. I'm about to head down to Greensboro and hopefully see Syracuse maybe give us some false hope, go on a little bit of a run here, but really tough draw in the bracket for several reasons after that loss to Miami. It's arguably the the worst possible thing. I mean, talk about a team that has not had the coin flip the right way for them when they've really needed it at times. I mean, look at some of the times when Elijah Hughes just gets hurt in games where you really need him to play well. Think about that NC State game. And then, of course, the Miami game this past weekend. And now, just the draw. You're going to face maybe maybe not one of the hotter teams in the ACC, but definitely the, the trendiest team in the ACC in terms of an underdog story, an underdog pick. I mean, Cole Anthony can really boost his draft stock. And, I mean, look at, even though they didn't beat Duke in their season finale, Garrison Brooks was phenomenal. Armando Baycott had another double-double. I think he had his 10th double-double of the season. This is a team that's definitely playing some of its best basketball right now. I think both you and I are in the boat that they will take care of Virginia Tech handily. And then it's North Carolina-Syracuse. I mean, we've seen this we've seen time it. and time again. <laughs> They're going for 10 straight. 10 straight oh, wins over the Orange they're looking for. It's really pathetic. And, and, and the cherry on top of it all is what time is this game, Tim? What time yeah, is the game? 9.30. It says 9, but don't let that fool you, folks. <laughs> this, get your coffee out because this is at least 9.30. And Notre Dame, and, Notre Dame Boston College is the game before. And Notre Dame, if you know anything about them, they're more of a, an offensive heavy team. So they're, they're pouring it in. They're stopping the clock. It's that's going to be a long game. Yeah, you know all about Notre Dame games and the length those take, but it is going to be a late one on Wednesday night for sure. And if you win, you've got Louisville in round three, I guess it is technically, which honestly, that's even a tough draw too. everything. As you said, it couldn't have been worse, but here they are. You knew it was going to be tough for them to actually go on a run here. Maybe not quite as tough as getting UNC. Although I will say UNC against Virginia Tech is different than UNC against Syracuse. I think we have to factor in that while UNC is the sexy pick right now, maybe it's going to be a little different when they play against a team they're supposed to beat in Greensboro, home crowd there. They play great at Duke, but they don't really have much pressure. I know that sounds weird because it's a rivalry game and it's on the road and it's a tougher matchup on paper. But this UNC team has kind of folded at times this year once the pressure kind of builds and they're supposed to win the game. So I wouldn't say it's a given they get to round two and play Syracuse, but it's likely. And then I think if they do get there, they're probably favored against Syracuse, even as the 14 seed going against the six seed. Well, you are our UNC Carolina correspondent, Tim Leonard, because (laughs) you're going to be heading home for the ACC tournament, right in that that triangle area, that that's where you call home, and, and it's just a short much hop better over weather. Greensboro. Although I will yep. say, very nice weather here today. It was about Have fifty-five we hit the and turn? sunny. We've hit the turn, we've hit right? the turn. Okay. I think. Yeah, I, I, I love to trade. It's been a great the, winter. The phrase, the term, the term, because <laughs> every year I, I'm I've been very good at predicting the term. I the turn. I can't even say the word right now. I've been very good <laughs> at predicting the turn. And I, I thought we got it last week, and it seems like we, we are getting it. So yeah, it'll probably something to be said about that global month, warming but, stuff. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but anyway, 
This is coming off the heels of a very tough loss, and we should touch on Miami briefly. Yeah, we should. A couple things that stood out to me. Buddy Beheim again, we've seen him now twice where he's not been the number two guy, where Hughes has been out of the lineup. NC State, where he really didn't play well in a tough matchup, as we documented before that game. And then again, here in the second half against Miami, he didn't do a whole lot. But that's Buddy Beheim. He's a great number two option. When he's your number one option, there's problems. And not to get into next year, but that is a concern I have for next year if Elijah Hughes does go. And we can talk about that over the summer, obviously. But the other thing that stood out is that was the full Joe Girard experience. It was the clutch game-tying shot to send it to overtime, and then the tunnel vision, ill-advised shots that we have seen at times. You can't really call it hero ball. And I will say, it's hard to really knock Joe too much because – He's kind of the only guy that can do that when Hughes is out of the game. Right. It's, I mean, I get why he's got this confidence to him because in high school, those were the shots he took. And I guess they were, they would go in all the time in high school. So, okay, why not let it fly in the ACC? And I don't think I've ever seen confidence on anyone like Joe Girard as a freshman. In a freshman, it, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's unbelievable. You talk about, you hear the, the phrase irrational confidence guys all the time. And maybe there, there's rationale to some of Joe Girard's shot selections, but, I mean, some of the shots he takes, and you just scratch your head after and think, well, what are you thinking? Uh, like, the the step backs and the leg kicks on the threes, It's I don't understand half the shots he takes sometimes, and it's reflected in the percentage from this last game where he goes 2 of 10 from 3, 5 of 17 from the field. So it's, again, you're, you're going to have, there's going to have to be some maturing from the end of this year to next year if this team wants to take a a real tangible leap going into next season because you're going to need Gerard and and Beheim to be efficient scorers next season if this team is going to be a real force in the conference, which everyone wants to knock the ACC for being down this year. And yes, it it is certainly down this year, especially when you, you look at the number of bids that they will likely get in the NCAA tournament. But there are a lot of promising young players. We even saw one on the other side for for Miami in Isaiah Wong, who who got the the spot start with Chris Likes out, and he goes out there and pours in 18 points, leads leads the team and leads everyone in the game. So th- there is going to be a bump in talent next year, and, and Syracuse is going to have to to keep up. It seems like. Yeah, it's really kind of daunting when you think about next year in a lot of regards. If Hughes does not come back, but. The other thing is, and this is going to sound strange because the final score was 69-65 in overtime, but once again, it was the defense that just really couldn't make stops down the stretch. And it's become a thing to this point now where this is one of the worst Syracuse defenses ever, I'd say. Yeah, we're, I mean, we're especially really bad play out there. Guarding the three-point line, Miami, all they did in the second half was shoot threes. But they were open, and they did get that one lucky bank from from Vasilovich. And that's, again, just sort of how the ball has bounced at times this season for Syracuse. It was a good comeback to even send the game into overtime. I thought they were going to do it, honestly, after Gerard made that shot. And it just didn't feel like they were going to lose at Miami. But that's a really tough loss without Chris Likes. And given that Miami has gone through what they've gone through, that's not a very talented team. And they're still getting three-point shots up at will and still kind of scoring at will. I know the score isn't that high scoring, but let's face it. The final five minutes, Miami was scoring when they wanted to score. 
And let's just look at it this way too. I mean, the the effort. I mean, this just looked like a, a deadbeat team. And I get that you, you you've played a lot of minutes and, and everything, and, and it's the end of the season. You're you're really not playing for much anymore. And that that's how they went out, and and it really showed. It seemed like in the effort, they just seemed dead out there, especially after Elijah Hughes got hurt. It felt like this team didn't know who to look for to their leader, and then Joe Girard just kind of stepped up and said, all right, I'll, I'll put the C on my chest, and then goes out and, and thinks that means he has the liberty to take any shot that's across half court. So it's it was a, a tough watch at the end. Definitely a, one of the tougher watches of the entire season. It was, and kind of a tough way for the regular season to come to a close. You drop from the five line to the six line, And I'll be down in Greensboro. We'll have plenty more time this week to talk about the ACC tournament, give you our predictions before the tournament gets going, how far we think Syracuse can make it. But when we come back, Tyler, I want to talk about the all-ACC teams, which are set to come out today. By the time you're listening to this, they may have already came out. And there's some interesting things to look at because Elijah Hughes is not getting very much respect, as we've talked about. Where will he fall on the all-ACC list? And also, I think Buddy Beheim has a case to win a very prestigious award this year. So we'll discuss that next on Lockdown Syracuse. Okay, the All-ACC teams. Another tradition, another opportunity for the media to not give Elijah Hughes his due after the Julius Irving Award. You know, Tim, I think we have to do a bit while you're down in Greensboro, okay? Because... (laughs) Whenever the these you talk to some of these people in the South about Syracuse, and they, they just don't even acknowledge the fact that Syracuse is even in the ACC. I think you got to do a bit while you're down there and ask the people if they even know who Elijah Hughes is. Because yeah. it seems like a lot of these people don't even know who he is. Like, that's how I bad wanna, it is. That's a good idea. I'm going to just try and talk to as many people down there as possible, report back. We'll get some of them, hopefully, to interview on this podcast here and just discuss why are they leaving him off? Because you see the stuff on bald men on campus with Seth Greenberg, LaFonso Ellis, Jay Billis, where they're discussing the ACC Player of the Year, and they name six guys, and Hughes isn't one of them, the guy who's leading the conference in scoring. And I ran through what will likely be in the all-ACC first-team discussion, Tyler, and let me just preface by saying it's completely ridiculous if he doesn't make the all-ACC first team, Elijah Hughes, but I'm scared he's not going to make it because the way they operate is it's politics-based, it's record-based, and, you know, you've got guys on Duke like Trey Jones and Vernon Carey that are basically locks. You've got John Mooney, who I think is kind of in that Hughes camp of maybe he deserves a little bit more credit but will likely get in at that center forward position. Jordan War is there, who... We can talk about him maybe at a later date and time, but I just don't see why so many people are so convinced that he's such a better player than Elijah Hughes when he's been by far way more inconsistent. But it's going to come down to Devin Vassell, Garrison Brooks, and Hughes, I think, for that final All-ACC first-team slot. And I think Hughes should be one of the first picks on the All-ACC first-team, but I'm scared they're going to give it to Vassell because of Florida State winning the regular season. Right, and and I'm going to actually give this, not, not to get political here, but I mean, it feels like there's almost, with these ACC voting situations for the the all-conference team player of the year, all, all that stuff, it almost feels political, doesn't it? Because you got the yes. electoral college, and, and regardless of where you lean on the political spectrum, 
I mean, everyone's condensed in Carolina. You got four schools there. Then you got South Carolina right there with Clemson. I mean, and those guys might have their bias towards their Carolina people. And just because they see each other so often and you mingle and talk about these different guys in the newsroom that you see. So is that something that's maybe playing against Elijah Hughes? Because Mike Waters and Donna Daytona can't banter about Elijah Hughes to anyone besides themselves. I mean, what, what, what is <laughs> happening? What is happening? What, what, where did the people miss on Elijah Hughes? Has he not played in enough nationally televised games? I don't, what is it? Because I, I don't know I, what I it can't. is at this point. Anymore, I can't where, put a where finger he can't on can't get it. I mean, is, are the BC writers going to be the ones that have to, to save Elijah <laughs> Hughes, the Notre Dame writers? Like, what is going to happen? How is this going to happen to our guy? He's Elijah? done it all year. And Jim Beheim has said at times this season, he's been as good in one season as anyone that he's ever coached. Like, that's he doesn't have to say that stuff. He could say nice things about him and not go that far. And, I mean... Every single game he's doing it. It's the consistency that shine, shines through every game. With the exception of the two games he's been injured, he's been in double figures in every single game. As the guy who needs to be in double figures for them to have any chance of winning really any game in the league this year, given the other talent on the team. And now the stuff is coming out that Duke nominated Trey Jones for the ACC Player of the Year. And by all accounts, what I've read is that means that Vernon Carey Jr. cannot be voted on by the media to win ACC Player of the Year. And I do think Carey deserves to be ACC Player of the Year, but if if you can't vote for him, Hughes should be ACC Player of the Year in my eyes. And yeah, that I'm... might sound like Homer Radio, but who are you going to give it to? Jordan Wara, who got benched late in the season? Trey Jones, who doesn't have the numbers in my eyes? Uh, John Mooney, I think, is a decent case. I think he's a similar case to Hughes. But if you're going to Mooney, I mean, Hughes is the tiebreaker there. He's the ACC's leading scorer. And if you can't give it to Carey, he should definitely be in consideration. Right. I think you and I are both in agreement. We don't necessarily think Elijah Hughes is the player in the year in the conference, but he's at the table. And he's yes. at the, the exclusive table. I mean, we're talking about a table of three that he should be at. And he's not even getting that sort of consideration right now, which is unheard of right now with, with the numbers he's put up this year. It, it's the consistency, like you mentioned, that I find so impressive with what he's done this year. I mean, this is the level of play that we saw out of Michael Benajay the, the year that this team went to the Final Four. That, that that's the kind of play. And then he's taking those numbers and is just upping them in the scoring department, seemingly. I mean, we, we talk about Michael Benajay. He'll get you at least double digits every night. Well, feels like Hughes is getting you 20 almost every night. And the numbers certainly yeah. back that up, especially when you take into account that he's pretty much missed a game and a half because of injury. and Not pretty much. He has missed a game and a half because yep. of injury. And those... Because he's come into the game, it's docking his numbers. Like this is a guy who who really theoretically is averaging closer to twenty points than he is the the nineteen shade under nineteen than he's at right now. And sure, I, I just don't understand how he doesn't have a seat at the table in, in some people's eyes because it's ridiculous. It, I I just don't get it. it. It makes no sense to me. And I think you and I are both in agreement that Vernon Carey is the player of the year in the conference. But if what you are are telling us, Tim that he's not going to even be on the ballot is true, then there's no there's no way around this. There really isn't. You mentioned Jordan Wara got benched. 
and Jordan Wara in big games has not shown up. I mean, no. plain and simple. We've watched a and lot ask of Jordan anyone, Wara this year. Yeah, he, ask anyone on Louisville, and they'll tell you, anyone who follows that team, and they'll say he's not the leader of the team because he's inconsistent mentally as well. Hughes is the bona fide leader of this team, right? no I mean, doubt. How many wins does Syracuse have without Elijah Hughes this year? Let's be be honest, be real. It's right Jerry here. How, McNamara levels. They how, wouldn't have won ten bleeping games. Right. I mean, really. <laughs> that really is. I mean, I think that's a perfect way to put it. This team. Yeah. I mean, look. Just look at how they folded against NC State. Look at how they folded against Miami. They don't have the talent to keep up with, with some of these teams in the ACC. And Elijah Hughes is the one that is making up for for the laps of, of maybe two or three guys out there on the floor. Yeah. Real quick, before we go to talk about set towns and some of the transfers and sort of recruiting into next year, because very important week, and we heard some news this week in regards to that. Just want to make the case for Buddy Bayheim for ACC Most Improved Player. That's an award they give out every single year. I think he's got a strong case this year. And I don't think he's going to get it for a lot of the same reasons as why Hughes will not be in the conversation for ACC Player of the Year. But, Buddy, what was the big question mark coming into this year for him? What would you say was, number one, can he add this to his game? Basically, I think a lot of it was going to be, can he play the minutes that he was going to be asked to play? And he held up. Right. And I'd also say the mid-range shot or adding shot inside the arc. Well, we saw some stats that Matthew Gutierrez quote tweeted, our buddy over at The Athletic, and Buddy Beheim in the country is the most efficient shooter at the free throw line mid-range area. And I think also the, the right, right wing. wing. Yeah. yeah. So if that's, I mean, that has to qualify for most improved. He didn't have that in his game last year. Now he's literally the best in the country, stats say. He's playing 36 minutes a game as opposed to 17 his three-point numbers actually went up this year despite more volume, and he's averaging top 10 in the league in scoring. So I think he has a case. I don't think there's really many others that are in the conversation. Maybe Garrison Brooks, maybe Amir Sims. I think there's there's definitely a couple other guys. I don't think he'll get it, but I think he should get it. I mean, you agree with me on that? Yeah, I, I'm with you there. And, and here's the thing is we talk about how playing for Syracuse maybe hurts Elijah Hughes' case. Well, I feel like playing for Syracuse, okay, not playing for Syracuse, but having the last name Bayheim probably helps your case, right? I mean, because yeah. even though that Syracuse is this forgotten school in the Northeast amongst all the, the ACC country people, the old school ACC country people, the name Bayheim resonates. And, and to see Buddy Bayheim see his numbers explode like that. I mean, he, he more than doubled his, his points per game. His, his Like you mentioned, the three-point numbers are up. He's shown that he can sustain his level of play in games despite seeing his minutes double. And when you initially brought this up to me, I thought to myself, like, mm, is Buddy Beheim really the, the most improved player of the year? And I think I kind of had a skewed perception because I saw how well he played at the end of last year. And I don't know why, but I thought that he had averaged around 10 points per game. Given yeah, the, the you think of finish, the ACC tournament. Last I went back year. and looked yeah. at his game log. I mean, first of all, we got to remember this kid was theoretically benched at the beginning of he his was career. Terrible I mean, he could not make he, a yeah. shot. He couldn't hit the broadside of a barn, and now he, he's turned into this guy who's one of the most prolific three-point shooters in the conference. He's one of the better scorers in the in the conference as well. 
And say what you want about the ACC, but there's still really good players in the conference, even if the collective of teams are down. So he's doing it against good competition night in and night out. And he's shown that he that the ACC tournament, where he really thrived last year, wasn't a fluke, and, and that was more of what's to come. Totally. I mean, you have to keep in mind that our expectations on him have changed drastically, but if we're comparing what we expected from him at the start of the year to now— I mean, what would the over-under have been on 20-point games going into this year for him? Because he's got 11 20-point games. And I yeah, think I would have said maybe I would five. have said it at, yeah, I mean, four, five. He's shattered expectations, and I think he does have a strong case. But yeah. anyway, that's our all-ACC team breakdowns. They're probably out by now by the time you're listening. We'll see if Syracuse gets snubbed, and we'll talk about it later on this week on the Locked on Syracuse podcast. Next up... Let's talk recruiting, because some interesting news came out earlier this week. Okay, one of our favorite things to discuss on Locked on Syracuse, recruiting, because that's always important, especially when your team's struggling, as Syracuse has. So this week, Jeff Borzello tweets out, Harvard grad transfer Seth Towns, who we've talked about a little bit, he announced sort of Seth Towns' list here, and he says he's considering Kansas, Virginia, Syracuse, Ohio State, Michigan, and Maryland. So that is six teams. Syracuse is in the conversation. And by all accounts, they've been after Towns for a while. This is a guy who has battled some injuries, but was the Harvard Player of the Year two years ago, or the Ivy Ivy Player player of the Year, I should say, yeah. And he averaged 16 points a game for them. Yeah, and Harvard, (laughs) if you win the Ivy League. But he's not really your typical Ivy League player. You might be hearing this and think, Oh, like, will he actually be able to translate that 16 points a game? This is someone who came out of high school, had big-time offers, and went to Harvard largely because of academics. And yes, he's injury-prone, but I do think he could pick up a lot of the scoring load if Hughes goes and he comes next year. Yeah, I mean, and the thing about this this whole Ivy League narrative surrounding him is, oh, maybe the competition's not as good. The Ivy League's had some pretty good players lately. I mean, even on his own team, Bryce Aiken is a phenomenal talent. Mie Oni is one of the better players, not just in the conference, but in the entire country. He's a guy who almost went to the NBA last year and left Yale early. Makai Mason, he was fantastic. He went to Baylor, showed that he could do it at the next level. So there's definitely competition and quality of players in the Ivy League. I think the interesting thing when it comes to Towns is the list of teams that he's getting looked at. Because... First of all, those are high-profile programs, conferences, what have you. I mean, he is getting some looks. When you spit out that list right there, I mean, there's some good, good teams. Kansas, Virginia, Syracuse, Ohio State, Michigan, Maryland. I mean, those are just boom. I mean, look at all, all, most of those teams are ranked right now. And all of them are ranked except for Syracuse, actually, now that I take a second (laughs) look at it. So Syracuse is probably on the the bottom ledger there. But you got to think, too, with a, a kid who was playing at Harvard, academics have to play a pretty big role in where you're going. And when you see names on that list, like Virginia and like Michigan, that kind of scares me at Syracuse. And and again, this is coming, hand up, this is coming from someone with a degree from Syracuse. So not to belittle my own degree, but I, I know that Michigan and Virginia are academically superior than the institution I went to. And that, that's yeah. just, that's just, kind of the nature of, of what happens in the grad transfer market. It depends what you're looking for in, in all that kind of stuff. So another right. interesting wrinkle too, he's from Columbus, 
Ohio State's coming knocking, so maybe that, that bumps them ahead of Syracuse as well. So all of these things are little factors to consider when you think about it, especially for someone who, who has limited time left in the college game. And we'll touch on Patrick Tepay here in a second. And obviously, Towns is a forward at 6'7". Tepay's a center. So you could say that, and we've talked about Tepay before, where we've said you really need him because that center front court weakness has been such a weakness the past couple years. But yeah, I will say, I'm also... Sidibe of old against Miami. Yes, <laughs> right. And he fouled out, too. So we'll get to the prop shop later on in the week. But I finally got back to hitting it go. over there. But, uh, yeah, the other thing that I'll say on Towns is, well, the front court problem is a huge problem. The other thing is, we've seen when they don't have Elijah Hughes, the scoring drops, and Buddy Bayheim is a great number two, not a great number one. And I'm worried about scoring next year if Hughes goes, and I think Towns could be someone that fills that scoring load. I think that's maybe being undervalued a little bit, how much of the offense could be the problem next year if Hughes does go. Because... These past four or five years, Syracuse has had someone like a battle, like a Hughes, that is an isolation guy at the end of the shot clock, can hit big-time shots, can give you consistently 15, 20, 25 a night. They won't have that next year, and that's why they really need a guy like Towns. Right, and and with Towns, too, I mean, his final season at Harvard, he averaged 16 points per game when he ended up winning Ivy Player of the Year. And you got to remember, too, the Ivy League doesn't play as many games as as these power conferences because i believe the stipulation is they can only play games friday through sunday in conference if i remember that correctly i I believe that's a thing so he's going to get used to to playing more games but that's also another thing to look at too is again with a guy who's had injury problems when you do increase the workload how is the body going to respond to that now he's had some time off to kind of recover he hasn't played in i think it's 2 years now so he he's definitely had some time to to recover and get his body right um but just another little wrinkle to throw in there and to be wary of with a guy like Towns totally so then Patrick Tepay the news on him this week it was a great article by our guy Ben Burrows over at the Post Standard covers the recruiting there he spoke to Patrick Tepay something I've been curious because no one has really been able to speak to him yet and just to hit on a couple of the pointers from the article basically he said academics is going to be somewhat of a priority for Tepay and he's also kind of interested in where Towns goes in this process because Tepay a guy from Columbia is played in the Ivy League before with Towns. They know each other, and maybe they're sort of thinking of this as we could partner up a little bit in this process. Right, and I don't know if it will be a package deal, but these two are obviously familiar with each other because of their their time in the Ivy League. So the the thing with me that when it comes to Tepe is, and we've heard some of the other names that have been floated around for for potential schools that he's interested in. I know Matthew Gutierrez was saying how Maryland's definitely a, a strong suitor in this uh, in this battle for Tepay right now. But you, you got to think, okay, Maryland is, is probably losing Jalen Smith. And they've kind of had this pedigree now of getting these big guys into the NBA. Now, who knows what Tepay's future aspirations are if he even wants to, to play basketball beyond college. But you got to think, academics are definitely another thing that are going to be a priority and and we're not going to spoil the whole article just go check out ben burrow's piece in the yeah the the post standard but 
one of the interesting things that I saw when he he was looking at Syracuse and the programs, he wanted to get into I believe it was urban designing and and Syracuse doesn't necessarily have that exact major that he's looking for and it seemed like academics based on the way he was talking would be a big thing and, and that's to be expected when, when you're going after ivy guys again it's the same totally. thing with town same thing with the pay and you, you got to imagine if, if they don't have the exact program he's looking for what's the point when i can when i can go to some of these other institutions that are are good and they also have the exact program i'm looking for well we will continue to monitor those guys throughout the off season be really some big ads for Syracuse because they do need to add some talent, especially if Elijah Hughes leaves. You can follow our Twitter account at LO underscore Syracuse. We will keep you updated on all the recruiting news over there. We will have podcasts throughout the week this week, every single weekday here on Locked on Syracuse. I will be making the trek down to Greensboro tomorrow, bright and early, 6 a.m. flight. So, Tyler, once I get down there, we'll have to chat and Talk about this bracket a little bit more and sort of get into some predictions for this week as we ramp up for Champ Week here. Stay safe. That coronavirus is real. It is real. It's true. I'll be uh, crossing my arms on the plane and getting as tight as possible, but hopefully I stay safe. Hopefully there's a good crowd, although it is the 930 game. I I probably will not bring a mask. I'm I'm not at that stage. You're actually not supposed to wear the mask if you don't have the coronavirus. I learned that. You're only supposed to wear it if you have it. And I think even the CDC says, do not wear the mask if you don't have it because you just look silly. You only need it if you actually have it. So there's my PSA. Yeah, Dr. Tyler Aki wrapping us up there. Also, check out... Me and Seth Towns, Patrick DePay, we're we're all smart guys. (laughs) Right. Well, you just just knocked your Syracuse education a little bit before this, but... Anyway, check out the uh, Locked On ACC podcast as well because this is going to be a good week to see what they're doing over there. As we gear up for the ACC tournament, we'll be back tomorrow on the Locked On Syracuse podcast. 